have the for-profit company on one side, and then you have the uh, impact companies. But impact companies uh, has a model basically uh, needs to be subsidized and tied to some subsidies from the government and government. This is, I know, it, it's completely wrong. But lots of also business angels at the beginning are thinking about impact investment. And this is why they are not so keen into getting into impact investment. I'm Alberto Moran, General Partner of PLDC Capital, and you are listening to Gut Talks, double G, U, double T. Hi everyone, Maria here, and welcome to Season 1 of Gut Talks, double G, U, double T, a podcast focusing on business and tech for good, experience design and gut feelings. Before we get started, make sure you visit our website gut.com, double and subscribe or click on the link in the blurb to make suggestions or ask questions. It won't take longer than a minute and help this podcast grow. And if you like the content provided, show some love with some reviews and ratings. Now let's get started. So today our guest is Alberto Amprin an angel investor in Europe with a background in engineering and business, who's worked in France, the US and Italy, of course. So Alberto, thank you so much for being here. So you, Maria. And yeah, your journey took you through multiple roles across different sectors from automation, energy, automotive, and in different companies, but also at Neologia, which is your company with a focus on technology transfer. But what you also are heavily involved in is 3LB Seed Capital, a private investment firm dedicated to seed investments in innovative companies and ideas. So you're a group of angel investors who support startups in their earliest stages of their development, entering in the equity as first external financiers, but also partnering with other investors and larger deals. So Alberto, I'm really happy and pleased to have you today on Gut Talks. And can you just take a moment and expand on my introduction, which was quite brief, obviously? Well, uh, thank you, Maria, for hosting me. Well, I tried to really to, to squeeze my experience in a few words. The first part of my career as an engineer in industries, the industry you were mentioning, uh, energy, automotive, automation. And then in 2010, I decided to start my own consulting company, working and seeking and scouting for emerging technology, normally brought by startups, and introducing these technologies to industries. And doing this uh, basically cross-border, especially between France and Italy, but also Spain and UK and, and Italy. So this was the moment that I created Neurogia which is still my main activity and which takes the majority of my time. And because I have to deal with, in some cases, with startups, in 2012, I joined the Club de Investitori, which is a business angel association in Torino. And so with them, I get customized to, uh, to what angel investing is. I made my first investment in uh, 2014. And in 2015, I decided with two friends to create an investment vehicle in order to be more proactive and more structured to make investment in startups. Because we realized that we didn't like so much being completely passive in our investments, uh, just sit down and having a deal flow 
presented to ourselves, but rather to having the freedom to invest some time and money in scouting, making due diligence and deciding to invest by ourselves. And also joining our economical forces, of course, provided us more uh, capabilities in entering some uh, maybe rounds there where there were some minimum tickets to invest in, in companies. And that's where PLVC Capital was uh, founded in 2015. So to date, we have made about 17 investments, separate investments. We have entered in partnership with uh, all other different uh, business angel networks. We are always still part of uh, the Club del Investitore di Torino, but we have expanded our reach. We've invested also abroad in Switzerland, the UK, and the US. And, and this is it. The adventure continues. Okay, nice. What was the trigger that, because you mentioned it was through your other company, right? Neurologia, you were working or dealing with startups at different levels. This triggered you to start investing and become an angel investor. But it's also about taking lots of risk as well to invest at an early stage. So what was the trigger and the balance you managed to find to get there? I think that I would say the first reflex as a business angel is basically you are attracted, of course, by technology or by an idea, by seeing something that is today zero and needs to go to one. And in a certain way, you are willing, business angel, to get a little piece of the cake of the experience of the entrepreneur somehow. Of course, you take risks. And this is why the recommendation in general for all wannabe business angels is to think about at least making five to ten investments. This is really the minimum. We are talking about risk. The first way of reducing the risk, of course, is to having your investment capacity spread across different startups. This is the first point. Then, of course, in each startup you are investing, when the moment you are investing, you are believing in the company, you are believing in the idea, you are believing in the team, in the entrepreneur. Then comes in the gut feeling, especially regarding the people, the capacity of the people, the capacity of the CEO, the entrepreneur. But in general, yes, it's at least for me, what really moves me in investing in a startup company is to get really this experience of early stage entrepreneurial approach that I like to live. And probably somebody can, can ask me why you are not just starting a startup on your own to have the same experience. And I always tell myself, well, somehow creating both Neurogia and PLPC Capital has been a kind of also entrepreneurial approach and entrepreneurial experience. So, yes, I think that this is probably my really moving motivation to invest and to be an angel investor, to take a little piece of the cake of the entrepreneurial experience of the startup. Okay. <laughs> so you mentioned yourself, the reflex and the gut feeling. Now, moving fast forward, what you're doing now and what you've started doing before as well and what you will be doing in the future. Are you led by your gut feeling when you decide to invest, let's say, in an entrepreneur or a founder or a startup? Well, sure, you, you use also your gut feeling. And this is especially true when you are evaluating the people. Because an invention, a company, and an idea, you can always evaluate through different parameters. 
You can be more or less profound in your analysis. You can spend one week or uh, six months in making a due diligence. You can just look at the big picture or going deep into the detail. And it's your choice. I mean, it's, it's how much time you want to invest and engage in this type of analysis. Instead, what is really based on gut feeling, I think, is the interaction and the evaluation of the entrepreneur. Because there, unless you have really a specific training as a, as a psychologist or other things, you really have some few opportunities or some relatively limited opportunity to know, to get to know and interact with the entrepreneur or the team. And this you cannot just evaluate based on subjective or objective uh, parameters. So where more the gut feeling, yeah. it's also a, a learning path. I would say that five years ago or six years ago, I was maybe using gut feeling for all across the, the different parameters. So maybe I was using a bit of gut feelings for the ideas, for the market size and market opportunity. The more you go on and see how startups evolve, grow or fail, and the more you realize that there are some parts, the some elements that you can really evaluate as much as possible in an objective way, and other elements, like I said before, the, the resilience and capacity of the team that you still need to trust based on, on gut feeling. So I would say that today I'm a bit more rational investor than I was a business angel investor that I was uh, five years ago. And I made, honestly, I made probably lots of mistakes that today for me it seems obvious, but at that time were not because I trusted the enthusiasm. I, maybe I put too much gut feeling in the novelty of the product or the service. Uh, today I try to be a bit more rational, as I mentioned, for the team. And the entrepreneurial is always evaluating or judging a person. And a person, unless you have the time to see it in action, you must judge him based on your feelings. Okay. You touched on some interesting points here. And I think we will go through some of them, like kind of dissect some of them. Because, yeah, one of the things, and there's this saying that, which is, you know, kind of true anyway, and not only in the entrepreneurial journey, that you invest in people, you know, not in the idea because the people are the ones who are going to make an impact in a certain way. It's something also you probably experienced yourself, which led you to know how to evaluate where to put your money as well. You tapped into the experience. Investing in others allow you to grab a piece of the experience of growing a seed of an idea and making it happen and seeing it through. So investing at an early stage and diversifying your investments allow you to do that. So you believe you're a risk taker in that sense, and you made lots or a few mistakes, I don't know. Uh, but can you take us through kind of a mistake that was uh, something that you will never forget and where you learned so much? Well, one, uh, probably one example of mistakes, exactly evaluating people and over-evaluating the idea uh, was one of my first uh, investments in a company that whose ambition was to create an ice cream dispenser with artisan ice cream, uh, but served by an automated machine. And not the, uh, let's say, soft ice cream, but hard ice cream, like the Italian ice cream. And on paper, there were a lot of positive points. There was a pattern. The entrepreneurs were two, a couple, 
the founders were two researchers, so two technical guys, uh, but really with with lot of uh, entrepreneurial experience. So I mean, they had created two previously two other companies and sold them with some uh, some success. The market was uh, was and still is, but at that time was was booming. The, the market of uh, ice cream it was uh, at Milan Expo 2015 and was. Food investments was really the hype at the time. And I convinced myself really to make an investment. And the ticket actually was one of the biggest we have made. And after a while, and I realized that the team that seemed to me very strong in reality was already in some kind of conflict between the two founders. But I was very superficial in understanding which was the relationship with the two founders and very soon we lost really the commitment of one of the two and was the probably the, the one guy that had more a marketing approach, market approach. And we were left a bit too much with the lead of the technical approach, which really uh, brought the company in a series of prototypes, but very costly, not sufficiently market testing, not sufficiently scouting for new employees and especially scouting for additional resources to implement the company. So we basically, they, they spent a lot of money in materials, in prototypes, not enough in people and in uh, market research. And this led in the end to uh, the company really not to succeed. Or I mean, they, they made a proof of concept machine. They didn't went too much uh, farther on. So, like I said, I was very superficial in evaluating the founders and especially their relationship between the founders. And very, I, I fall in love for the idea of the market and potentially game-changing idea. And to date, I really, I feel guilty not for my mistake in having over-evaluated the technology and the market, but really not to have paid attention to the team and to the capabilities and their relationship between the, the, the founders. Well, that's your takeaway, uh, one of your main takeaways. Yeah, the, let's say that people are key and the relationship with the people, between the people in the team. I used to think that when you have not one single founder, but two founders, you have a kind of balance that is very hard to have in a single founder all the skills. And so startups with two founders, maybe one more technical, one more uh, commercial is better. And this is partially true, but I understood also that this is a strong part. But the weak part is that all the success of the company depends on the relationship between these two people. And if these two people are not committed in the same way, are starting to create friction between themselves is a disaster. In that case, it's better one single lead founder that is able to find, pick the right people to build his, his own team rather than having two co-founders. But I mean, it's, there is not the right question. I'm just saying that I overlooked at the dynamics between two co-founders. This is really some important element. Yeah, I guess it's there's no secret recipe on the type of team you're looking for. It depends. And this is where the experience helps a lot. And we're always going back to this word of experience. I'm going to get back to this later, but I want to ask you, you were part of an angel investing group before uh, starting your own investing, if you want, arm with your friends. Investing as a group or as a larger group, you can benefit from the experience of many investors and who share their mistakes as well to avoid bigger risks or bigger failures. 
Do you still think that this is valid today and do you still go back to this larger group when you invest together? Well, I think there are, as, as everything, there are pros and cons. Of course, if you, uh, I think the best would be to have a, a narrow group of complementary people which can help you in, to evaluate and co-invest in a single investment opportunity. As long as you are, like I said, a, a narrow group, maybe four, five, six people with maybe different approach. When you are more than this number, when you start to be 10, 15, 20 business angels investing together, the dynamics becomes complicated and it's really difficult to take to fruition the real experience of each single one. And in the end, you are like in a crowdfunding mode in the sense that, okay, every single business angel has his own opinion, but every opinion is equal to another and you start to have a lot of noise, maybe different views on the same subject. So you're not really so coherent to start to be a bit more uh, defocused. So in the end, you come down to invest because of your own guts or your own evaluation. So I think the best way is really to find some few best partners with different complementary skills, but with which you have a good feeling and uh, relatively knowledge. And then, of course, if you want to invest with other 50 people, you can do it. But your decision must be based on that value and uh, making a due diligence is true as long as you are, I think, a, a reasonable limited number of people. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because there might be like different schools of thought to that because the good part is where you have specific expertise or people who can give a very specific opinion. But I guess as well, you're talking about this noise that might distract too in that sense. You know, you have some time in the same panel of investors, very young people, uh, old people, people mm -hmm. that maybe don't understand maybe the technology yeah. are really focus on their own experience and are using their own experience in every case, in evaluating every company, which sometimes is useful, but sometimes is also some noise. I mean, if you have made, I don't know, you have been the uh, human resources manager to uh, some international company and you are now applying your expertise to a startup to point out that they have underestimated the needs of people that they need in the Growing is, is not so much an added value, it's more noise that casts out to in others and maybe focus the sensible topics. So it's like I said, it's too many people in any case, too many ideas and too many opinions generate to, to confusion. Okay. There is a limited number, ideal limited number of people that, that can help you in this. I'm gonna zo zoom out a little bit and ask you about the angel investing landscape in Italy and Europe. How have you seen the evolution? Because you've been doing that for like over 10 years, right? So, Yeah, I think that compared to other countries and compared especially to the VC uh, venture capital market that is in Italy, the business angel networks and business angel movement in Italy is pretty much developing. I mean, we are not really behind France or, or Germany. And it's a bit, especially looking at the investment from the proceed and seed phase perspective, I think Italy is not lacking nowadays uh, business angels. In 2012, we had the first 
government uh, incentive to business engine, to investing in startups. The definition of a, an innovative startup is, was defined by government law. And little by little, this scale advantage has grown, which has been something that has attracted also more private uh, single investors. So I would say that nowadays, since the ecosystem of business angel is pretty much developed, there is an IBAN or Italian business angel network organization that covers all the different business angel uh, associations. Then, of course, every business angel club or association has had its own evolution. Some has been successful, other has been disappeared. The trend today, I would say, is becoming more and more toward uh, a kind of specialization. So I see more and more uh, business angels, new business angels and existing business angels that want to focus on specific topics, specific industries. And because there is this realization that is really, you need a lot of energy, a lot of money, a lot of competences to make really a, a true opportunity for the startups to grow and to pass to the following investment rounds. And if you just bring money, it's not enough. And it's not enough, especially for the today, if you want to make a quick investment, not as a business angel, but as a, as a formal, as an informal investor, probably you have plenty of crowdfunding platforms. You can just browse your the five, four or five platforms that are more effective and making 10 investment in a year. There's very small tickets. You have your own portfolio and that's it. You don't need to really to do something else. But if you want to really to play the role of a business angel, so to not invest just money, but also time and network and, and increase the opportunity for the company you're investing, you need to be effective. You are in kind of a competition with other investment mm -hmm. solution, investment partners. And the startups you are investing in are in competition with other countries, startups, and so on. So you really need to be efficient in what you do, not just putting your money, but also to support them. So specialization is a way really of attracting those business angels that are more focused on a certain industry, on some value stream, and then can really support the companies in a more efficient way. I think that the, say, generic business angel that invest uh, in many different uh, sectors, probably something that it will always happen, but is a bit of the past. I mean, 3LB Capital in itself has invested in plenty of different companies in different, very different fields. But I think that the more we go on, the more this aspect of specialization will play a, a role in the business angel investment, as well as in VC. Yeah. It's a general plan. Yeah, what you're saying is interesting. It's smart money, basically, because, and, and it goes back as well to the experience, because from a startup point of view, it is on money, but from an investor's point of view, as you said, you talked about the role of the business angel. You have to be involved, basically. And going back to what you mentioned, the experience and seeing the journey through and actively seeing how this seed is becoming something or nothing in that case, because, you know, that, that's part of being that's an angel right. investor. What is it in the experience that you look for? Like if you want to summarize this in three words or keywords. <laughs> well, the first one is enthusiasm, because this is really the key uh, that moves everything. I mean, enthusiasm is the base for any new, new ventures. And if you are just doing this because it's a hype, because it's cool, that's not really, you need really true enthusiasm in what you are 
willing to do. The second one is just just after that is resilience because really being an entrepreneur is a, a hell of a job, a hell of experience. You go together with the investors, but of course the entrepreneurs is even more than that. It's really an up and down all the time. One month you, you think you are going to be broke in two months and then you have a new customers or suddenly you find the right solution and things goes well. So it's, it's really resilience to the bad time. And uh, yes, the third one I would say is impact because like maybe we discussed it before. I think that being an entrepreneur today, I think is anyway... Regardless of the segments or the sector or the products that you are willing to sell to the market is an impact on the society. We are, of course, in a condition where technologies are eating jobs and we have to constantly create, invent new things to improve, of course, our condition, but also to create new opportunities for, for the people that are not entrepreneurs and are counting on entrepreneurs to renew the labor market and the industrial, industrial context and the social context. So, there is this impact mission that, okay, okay, of course, can be rewarded through money, to a lot of money at the exit. But I don't think is really the, I mean, it's, it's the real motivation only of a very few uh, entrepreneurs. Most of them is to bring their ideas to the market, involving and creating a, a company from zero to 1,000 employees. You said impact. So... It's about impact on the society, but also impact on the environment and let's say the ESGs kind of, which is also a buzzword today, right? And you talked about angel investing being more specialized today. That's the trend you're observing in Italy, but in Europe as well. What's the landscape of angel impact investors in Italy and in, in Europe? And when I say impact investors, it's like really purpose-driven startups, not adding a purpose component, let's say, to it for communication purposes and so on. Well, this is a, something that, uh, as, you know, as you know, I, I know only, only partially. I really don't know a very little about impact investment in other parts of Europe. I think this is also linked to the fact that the approach from northern, let's say, Anglo-Saxon countries is more pragmatical. There is this tradition of really making impact uh, uh, companies also profitable companies. A company makes an impact as long as it can sustain itself, not relying on constantly on government subsidies or this thing, uh, kind of things. And I would say a bit a, a weak point of Latin country and first of all Italy is that we are at least in our brain is a bit engraved the idea that okay you have the for-profit company on one side and then you have the uh, impact companies but impact companies that uh, has a model basically uh, needs to be subsidized and tied to some subsidies from the government and gone and this is I know it is completely wrong but this is a bit what lot of also business angel at the beginning are thinking about impact investment. And this is why they are not so keen into getting into impact investments unless they have some personal reason or really real motivation. So I guess there's um, a bit of education that needs to, or awareness that, that needs to be provided. Uh, to 
awareness of this uh, approach to uh, the fact that you can create profitable company yeah. that are profitable, that generate a profit, but at the same time they are generating a positive impact on the, yeah. on the society. And when you use uh, the terms impact as a first term, as a, a, step, a step mark on the, on the startup, I would say 80% of the business angels say, well, okay, but no, but we want to something that scales more and make more profits. And because mm. if we want to make uh, impact, we can maybe make a donation or create a foundation to help some type of uh, making charities, making other things, not investing. So impact, you want to make impact, give your money to a charity, to a foundation, you want to make money investing in startups. There is this, this kind of uh, mindset, yeah. at least in, let's say, I, I would say a fair amount, still a fair amount of business angel. Yeah. So, of course, there are exceptions. We cannot generalize, but I think it's a bit the limit of the fact that in, uh, in Southern Europe, we are more used to have the government in a certain way to which collects the money through taxes and then has the, the duty to support impact investment, let's say. Yeah. Or on the other side, you can volunteer yourself part of your time to support impact investment. There is not this so much this approach of business structure to make impact, but still being a, a self-sustained business. Yeah, it's like there's a... There's this misconception in the fact that they cannot be together, whereas they can be together, yeah. actually. So yeah. there's, they have to be together, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I think there's also some work to be done from the startups themselves as well in creating this awareness and education around it as well. And this is kind of where we're heading to. Let's say, you know, COVID helped in that sense as well to create more awareness globally around that. So it's a buzzword today as well, but in a certain sense, it helps to, <laughs> to at least want to know more about it and learn about it. And this leads me to how should startups position themselves now with COVID and everything that's going on? Well, I think that there are, of course, some, uh, some segments of the market, for instance, uh, tourism and hospitality, that maybe it's too early to, to say, but for sure they will have to kind of reinvent themselves for understanding if we will spring back to exactly the same condition as before, or somehow the system has been crashed, has been distorted, and will never exactly spring back in the same way as before. I think this is the, the big question. And also real estate. I mean, a lot of people are starting to say, why we, we build this big cities when we waste a lot of money in uh, transporting the people from their houses in the suburbs to the center, getting to an office, meeting with people, then the, the following evening going back to their home. I mean, it's a waste of energy. And we demonstrated that probably, of course, we need to meet in person. We need to have uh, discussions. We need to create a relationship, personal relationship. But probably we exaggerated what we things were so easy or anyways, we get so used to take the same train and metros to get to downtown and back or to take a, a low-cost plane to go from Milan to London, just having a, maybe a one-day discussion and flying back. I think that there, there will be some, some area that will be 
permanently affected. And of course, if you are startups in this segment, they will have really to, to understand how things will evolve and of course take advantage. Well, startups are really a big advantage is that they can experiment. They can enroll very quickly, like the example we did before with Nebo. We can, you, you have a startup with five people, you can change your business model very quickly. A travel agency with 2,000 people cannot change its business model from one day to another, even from one year to another. Yeah, for so, sure. So I think that regarding this, of course, uh, from one side, uh, startups are more fragile. But on the other side, they have the opportunity to be much faster experimenters, much faster to adapt to new conditions. It's like animal in an ecosystem, which the, the, the one that adapts more quickly to the new conditions is, is more successful than the company that cannot change their, their way of working very, very quickly. Yeah, for sure. They, they, uh, they're faster. And as you said, they're more fragile, but they're more agile as well at the same time. So. And just to mention for the listeners, nibble is, uh, it comes from the word nibble, <laughs> nibbling. And it's an Italian startup that helped me out with that. I'm just, just because you mentioned it. They were actually guiding people to coffee shops and spaces where you can book an hour or two to work from there and you would get a discount. After the lockdown, they switched quickly and now they're helping companies get their employees to book office spaces just to avoid crowds, right? It's, uh, if I'm wrong. Yeah, that's right. They, they have not abandoned their original business model, but basically they extended their business model to a more B2B or business to enterprises to help them in handling. Well, the, the problem of the big company is that, of course, they can use the office space they have available, but they cannot put the same crowd or the same number of people that they had before. So thanks to this uh, this platform, they can now basically pre-book, helping the employees to decide which day which day of the week to go to, to the office and which to work from home. And so to reorganize the working organization in a much more flexible way basically using the same platform infrastructure they had already created to help freelancer to find a place from where to work in a public a pub or another public uh, location. So okay. the target, initial targets were freelancer. Now there are still freelancer, but also employees. You tapped into something uh, really interesting that I haven't heard much actually in the fact that you're an angel investor because you enjoy the experience of being an angel investor. And sometimes you have angel investors who want to overtake or overpower the startup or just lead them in a specific direction. And I'm hearing now you want to be part of the journey support, but not overtake it. So I think that's an interesting uh, topic. Yes, you are kind of, it's true that there are sometimes you can divide a business angel in two classes. First time business angel or some business angels are actually kind of wanna be entrepreneurs or I've been entrepreneurs and I can be entrepreneurs without the bad side of being an entrepreneur full time. So they invest in the company and because of their experience, their position, their network, they are expecting basically to be into the company like senior advisor, president, or and somehow being able to steer the startup with their own experience like they were really the owner of the company or one of the owner of the company. And I don't think this is generally is very positive. On the other opposite, you have 
business angel may be more like me, which of course is, are trying to add value to the investment they have made, but they are also playing on the fact that it's a kind of, well, I have a portfolio of 15 companies and I let a bit the kind of natural selection to let emerge the company that, that will be more uh, stronger and more successful because of the people that are leading them. And this is also part of the experience. So part of the experience is really looking how helping as much as possible everybody, but also understanding there are founders and CEOs that are more capable of others. And you maybe you learn from them rather than willing to, to give them something. You actually, as a feedback, you are really learning and understanding what makes really a good entrepreneur rather than a good business angel. I just want to wrap up uh, with what we've been talking about. So we talked about angel investing, the meaning of it, and diversification, impact investing, the cultural approach to that, the Italian and European ecosystem, team dynamics, and investing approaches as, you know, co-investing or singular investing. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Maria. Feel free to send me an email if you need me, maria at gut.com, W-G-U-T-T.com. You were listening to Gut Talks by Maria Matlub. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast to listen to a new episode each week. If you enjoyed this episode, then please rate and review Gut Talks. If you'd like to ask a question, head over to gut.com, W-G-U-T-T.com and ask away. And don't forget to enroll in the free crash course on mastering working sessions with post-its. Thanks for listening and see you next time.